0: You see, as a Christian, listen, we are freed from sin, not free to sin. The Corinthians were living by love God and do as you please. Being a Christian means that you love God and you do as He pleases. That's the key.
1: Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff.
0: Let yourselves be cheated. In other words, give up what you think that you have coming to you for the higher good of God and His kingdom. Why not suffer wrong instead of bringing your dispute before unbelievers? Ideally, the church should have settled the dispute, but if the church failed to do so, if we failed to find one who has wisdom to be able to mediate and bring a settlement, Paul's asking the individuals, the Christians, to trust in God, but not in secular judges and lawsuits and courts. Now, I believe that verse 8 here, is a real key to understanding what was taking place here with these lawsuits and them suing one another. I, I believe that we get some insight here because he says, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. I believe that what perhaps was taking place is that a lot of these lawsuits seem to be motivated by greed. The lawsuits weren't so much about addressing that which was wrong and seeing that justice be served, but it was more of a means to get up on someone, to gain some personal gratification at the expense of a fellow believer. That's what is believed that was taking place again. It was one of those things where you elevated yourself and you puffed yourself up and and it was something that they were doing to one another. And it's not the Lord's desire that we do things out of greed. I'm not going to, to, to do it because I'm trying to get you know, my selfish desires of greed on somebody. And here Paul is saying that don't have that mindset that I'm going to make sure I have everything coming to me that I think that I should. You see, Philippians chapter 2 tells us that we're to esteem others better than ourselves. Paul would write there in in that text that you're to look out not only for your own interests, but for the interests of others. So this is why Paul was so concerned, because they were using the court system, I believe, for their own gain, motivated by greediness and selfishness. In verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, uh, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So now what we have here is the third, don't you know? Paul getting down to some very serious issues here. He writes, of course, inspired by the Spirit of God, don't be deceived. The unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And just so we don't misunderstand who the unrighteous are, he gives a list, doesn't he, in verses 9 and 10. And Paul does not mean that those who have been involved in these things cannot receive forgiveness and salvation. Because he goes on to say, "...such were some of you." Some of you were involved in these things. You lived in these lifestyles. But the Lord has changed you when you got saved. And as Paul lists these different things here in these verses that we just read, he is saying very plainly that these things cannot be continued in the lifestyle of a Christian. You see, people will say, as I mentioned last week once in a while, that it doesn't matter in the way that I am living. It doesn't matter if I'm living with my boyfriend. It doesn't matter if I'm involved in in cheating or lying or if I'm involved in drugs or selling drugs, whatever it might be. Because God loves me, and He loves me the way that I am. You know, God's love is, is... there. God does love us and His love remains, but here's the thing He never, never desires for us as a Christian to continue in a lifestyle of sin. He never wants us to continue the way that we are and the things that we were involved in before we got saved. When we give our hearts to Jesus Christ, we become a new creature, a new creation in Christ, don't we? That's what the Bible says. We know in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In the last few months, last fall, we were going over Colossians and how Paul was writing about that you put off the old man, put off those old things, the worldly things, and you put on the new man. It's like a new set of clothes that you're to put on, those things that are pleasing to God. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How we who have died to sin live any longer in it. So when we came to Jesus Christ, there was regeneration that took place. We're a new creation in Christ. There is a difference in our lives. Your life is no longer characterized and dominated by these sins. The sins that characterize those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. These things are never the mark of the life of a Christian, and if they do, they must be immediately repented of and forsaken. These words that Paul writes here, again, inspired by the Spirit of God, should be a searchlight to our own hearts. You remember in Luke chapter 19, when Jesus came to Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem to die for the sins of humanity. And right before he gets to Jerusalem, he comes to Jericho there and he sees a a man, a wee little man named Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus was up in a tree wanting to see Jesus he's a tax collector and tax collectors back in Jesus day they were very much hated because they were ones that worked for Rome first of all so they were despised and they were usually characterized by cheating people and stealing from people there was a certain quota that they had to to raise this amount of taxes and anything above that quota which nobody knew what the quota was except the tax collector himself That tax collector got to keep it for himself. That was his commission. So the tax collectors of Jesus' day were very good about shaking people down, ripping people off, and they were usually very, very wealthy. So here's Zacchaeus. Jesus walks by, sees him up in a tree, and says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm coming over to your house for dinner. The King James reads, I want to abide in your house today. And that word abide that's used there in Luke's gospel is the same word that is used in John chapter 15 where Jesus says to his disciples and to you and to me to abide in me, to abide in my word, to abide in my love. Well, after Jesus abides in this known, well-known tax collector's house, afterwards Zacchaeus comes out, He begins to give his money away. He began to repay those that he had ripped off, and and he repays them not only the amount that he had stolen, but four times as much. And nobody ever doubted that Jesus had touched that man's heart deeply, that he was converted, that Jesus changed his whole life and his whole heart. And here's the positive thing about the passage that we just read. Paul says, such were some of you. Some of you Christians, your lives were characterized by these things. Fornication dominated your life. That word means any kind of sexual immorality of any sort. Idolatry, which is placing anything above your relationship with God, anything that has priority over your relationship with Him. It can be your car, it can be your career, it can be... The things you're involved in, it can be drugs, a number of things. It can be the person that you're dating. Whatever it is that you elevate above God in your life, it can become an idol. Even ministry can. Do you know that? We who are involved in ministry have to be very, very careful that ministry doesn't become an idol. Where the ministry is placed above and a priority over your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are a lot of things that can become an idol. He mentions adultery, which is sexual immorality, when one or both people involved is married to another. Paul goes on to say homosexuals and thieves and covetous, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Interesting, the sin of coveting. It's a sin that oftentimes in our society we're not even aware of that has taken place. Very seldom are people brokenhearted over that sin of coveting. But yet it's mentioned in the Ten Commandments, isn't it? You shall not covet. Jesus specifically warned his disciples against it. He said, beware of covetousness. Yet it's a sin that we can be so easily involved in, particularly in our society, coveting. Coveting is just wanting what someone else has. Well, I wish I had their car. I wish I had their home. I wish I had their prestige or their fame or their power. Covening can take on the form of lust. I wish I had their wife. I wish I had their husband. It can again happen even in ministry. I wish I had their ministry. And in a society where more is better, this sin, if we're not so careful, is a sin that we can be so easily involved in and affected by. We've talked about in our previous studies what God's Word tells you and I, that we are to be content with what we have. Be thankful for what we have. Are you wanting bigger and faster and better and more? Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5 that covetousness is idolatry. So Paul continues here warning. He says those that are extortioners, those who steal with violence, drunkards revilers verbal abuse that is will not enter into the kingdom of god such were some of you but because you have put your faith and trust in jesus christ as your lord and savior surrendered your heart to him you have been washed and sanctified and justified i love that you have been washed you have been sanctified you have been justified Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 tells us Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You see, at one time, we know every single one of us was unrighteous. We had no hope of inheriting the kingdom of God, but then we were born again. Because we realize, we accept it. We know by faith the fact that Jesus Christ went to Calvary's cross and took the punishment for those sins that we committed. And Paul says that you were washed. That word means that you've washed yourself clean. It's like taking a bath. This is the time of year. It's supposed to be warm this week. And a lot of us are getting anxious, aren't we, to go out and work in the yard and mow the lawn and, and rake up all the dead leaves and to start working in those beds that we're going to plant for flowers in our gardens. And we work outside this time of the year. And after we do that, we come in, there's dirt and guck and grime all over us. And we take a bath, we take a shower to get it all off. And that's what happens spiritually when we came to Christ. All the guck and grime, the stench of sin is washed away and goes down the drain. And once you're clean, why would you want to come back out and roll around in the mud again? Why would you want to go back to those old sinful ways? You're clean, you're washing the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, not only have you have been washed as you come to him, that you've been sanctified. As I mentioned previously, it means that you've been set apart for the purposes of God, not for the purposes of evil, not for the purposes of sin, not for the purposes of this world. You are sanctified, set apart for the purposes of God to live a life that is pleasing to him. And you are justified as well. You know what that word literally means? It means justified, just as if I've never sinned, because the penalty has been paid. And in God's eyes, it's just as if I've never sinned. The sins that you commit have been paid for, and we will not be punished for those sins because Jesus took the punishment for you and I on Calvary's cross. So here is being declared to you and to me the glorious and wonderful an incredible work of God in our lives and in our hearts through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I have been changed. You have been changed like Zacchaeus. I'm no longer in what I was. My life has been changed through the power of the Holy Spirit, through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a new life. I'm a new man. You're a new woman. The old things have passed away and all things become new. And that's what conversion is all about. And that's what living as a Christian is to be all about. Our behavior does change by the power of God's Spirit. We do act differently than the world. And God's love is shining forth through us. And what He is saying to this church and reminding the believers is, look, the way that you do live is a testimony to the world. Our testimony to a watching world should be one of love and concern for others instead of just being out for yourselves. If they see the selfish spirit of, I got to have all my rights at all costs, when they see that that is broken within you and that you're willing to suffer loss in the name of Christ may be advanced, that's when the world begins to take notice. And they say that whatever is in you and your faith, it is real. Christians, you are different. But when people of the world see that Christians are no different, that we're just going to live the way that we please, then that's when we do hear the reaction, isn't it? And the response of you Christians are no different than anybody else. We are different. The apostle goes on to write in verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. We know that Paul was such a champion of grace, wasn't he? And he would share that grace with the Corinthian believers. He would share the liberty that they have in Christ. So the Corinthian believers began to say, All things are lawful for me. And it seems as though they were using their liberty as a license to sin. And Paul's going to write in verse 15, he's going to make reference to a harlot. The point seems to be that the Christians thought that they had the liberty to use the services of a prostitute. And it would have been accepted culturally, especially in the city of Corinth, because that was something that was widely accepted. You see, as a Christian, listen, we are freed from sin, not free to sin. The Corinthians were living by love God and do as you please. Being a Christian means that you love God and you do as he pleases. That's the key. And Paul here, given the boundaries, he says, not all things are helpful or profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You see, it's only the Christian that really knows what it means to be free. A man or a woman who's living in sin is not free at all. Do we understand that? You see, the person who's living in fornication, maybe perhaps hooked on pornography, the person who's addicted to alcohol or to drugs, whatever it might be, don't tell me that that person is free. Because they're not free. They're in bondage. And it's only the child of God that knows what it really means to be free, what freedom is about, what it means to to really appreciate our freedom. I love the freedom that I have in Christ, but it isn't freedom to be involved in sin. It isn't freedom to be involved in the pleasures of the world. It is the freedom to live for the Lord. And that's the freedom I enjoy. And so if you're under the influence of some sin, immorality, the influence of drugs, the influence of alcohol, for example, then you're brought under his powers, what he is saying. Because as you consume, for example, and it could be a number of things, but alcohol, you consume it, it makes your judgments and thoughts fuzzy and impaired, and you're not able to think clearly, and then you're not truly free, but you're under the power, the influence of that substance. Paul says, don't ruin the liberty, the joy, the freedom that you have. Don't be brought under its power. You and I get to say no to the sick society that is around me and the things that will affect me spiritually, and we get to enjoy life the way it was meant to be because I'm free, and I don't have to be involved with all that stuff that we could be. But we are free to live for Him, and we give it up, and we don't become in bondage to anything. In verse 13, foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. So the Corinthians had this motto to justify giving their bodies to whatever their bodies wanted. My body wants food, I'm going to eat. My body wants sex, I'm going to be involved with the prostitute. So what's the problem, they were saying. And Paul isn't going to let them take that slogan comparing the consumption of food to desiring to fulfill their lust. Because it's not for that, for immorality, but the Lord... It's what we are to live for. We are called to serve God with our bodies, worship the Lord with our bodies, abstain from any kind of fornication. Your bodies are members of Christ. Your body belongs to Christ. He wants to use your hands, your mind, your eyes and your ears for His purposes. He chose you to reveal His character and His love and His truth. He could have sent angels. He could have used some other beings of His choosing, but He chose you and I. And when people see that you and I that we're living for Christ, they see should see something of Christ in our lives, and then Paul takes the logical uh, his illustration that is to a logical conclusion for those who desire to satisfy themselves and dishonor the Lord with the act of immorality. You are involving Christ in that sin. Don't you realize that what you're doing, you believers? Don't take this lightly, verse 16. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Realize that when you're joined with that harlot, that you two become one. Your body is a member of Christ or an instrument of Christ. And if you are using your body for fornication to be joined with the prostitute, you're actually joining Christ together with them. This is serious, he says. But he who is joined to the Lord, verse 17, is one spirit with him. So you flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. You are created for the Lord. You are created to please the Lord. So don't bring grief to the Lord. You flee fornication. We know the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. That Potiphar's wife after Joseph was there as the overseer of Potiphar's house Potiphar's wife made advances towards him and it was Joseph when she wanted to lie with Joseph and she said lie with me and he said how can I do this great wickedness before my God And then another time as she was continuing doing that she grabbed him and he took off running he fled fornication and I pray that we would be like Joseph when we are tempted with any kind of fornication, that our hearts would be, how can I do this wickedness before my God? And that we would take off running and just get away from it. And then as we finish this morning, or do you not know that your body is the temple, the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You're the Lord's, do it his way. Be sensitive to His presence in your life. Be careful that you don't commit immorality and bring grief to the Lord in the process. You were bought with a price. So live for the Lord full on. He owns you. He owns you. You flee that fornication. To Timothy, he would write this. To Timothy, you flee youthful lust. The lusts that pull on you flee them, and he says this, but you pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Some of the last words that Paul would write to Timothy. Timothy, you run. You flee useful lusts just like young Joseph did who ran away from Potiphar's wife. Don't play around with it. Don't think about it. Just get out of there. But you see, when we run, we run to something, don't we? And you run to that which is righteous, to faith, to love and peace, with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. That's why fellowship is so important, folks, that you gather around those who desire to please the Lord as well, to encourage and to edify one another, so that we can remind each other how blessed we are that we belong to the Lord. And we don't have to be deceived or in bondage by the enemy, by the lies of the world. But you and I, as believers in Christ, we get to pursue that which is righteous, that which is truly love, that which will bring peace to us. As Lord, as you work that clean and pure heart in my life.
1: Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8:30 and 1030 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.